0: Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive interview. And today we have on Sean Wang. Uh, This is not our typical kind of interview. It's not any one specific company. It's the cloud industry overall. And and you're going to hear us talk about it, but it's I think an industry that a lot of people are very curious about, but don't quite grasp the intricacies. Sean clearly does, and and you're going to see that. And he does a really, really good job explaining the ins and outs of the industry. And and uh, my favorite part was probably when he talked about the the differences in the big three cloud providers and how integrated or entrenched they are with their customers. It's it's really a fascinating conversation. Just given how how wonderful these business models have proven to be, and and you can see that just looking at Amazon and Microsofts, and even Google's is is turning towards their, uh, turning towards that profitability. But uh, you can see it in the financials that they they break out for these businesses. So th- it was really exciting. Uh, did you have any highlights specifically?
1: Yeah, I I think the whole thing was great. The discussion around Cloudflare was really fun, where talking about how they're trying to attack them from a different angle. And man, I think just the long-term contract, we don't talk investing specific things, but I think there's a ton of investing takeaways you can have from here and why these businesses do look promising and why they're going to be so important uh, this decade. Uh, But first, before we get to the interview, why don't we talk about our new sponsor uh, for 2023? And that is stratosphere.io. Stratosphere.io is a phenomenal platform, um, and it is a great way to use, you know, research, get uh, data, data points, financials, all this good stuff, and it's very accessible. And the best part is, it's free, so you can use it. You don't have to, you know, spend twenty thousand dollars on a Bloomberg terminal you can do tons of different things with stratosphere.io. You can have up to 35 years of historical financial financial data and KPI. KPIs, you have company-specific metrics like Netflix or Spotify subscriber counts, Costco locations, tons of other stuff for specific businesses. And the best part of it is you have... Uh, how do I even describe this? You can get all the financial filings. you can get all the SEC filings all in a centralized location. So you don't have to use the Edgar service, which is clunky, or go to all the different investor relations websites. This can be your homepage as an individual investor. And on top of that, they have a premium plan for professionals where if you want to use our promo code CCM for 15% off, you get uh, 15% off your paid plan. That is promo code CCM. Uh, The link will be in the show notes. Check them out. It's an awesome service, and the best part is it's free. Ryan, yeah. anything else before we? No, start I want to. Fu- I want
0: to follow up on this because this is a new sponsor, and I'm really excited that they're sponsoring us because we're we've we're friends with the founder, and we actually use the service. And it's it's, I don't know how to say it. It's really awesome, and it's free. You, it basically takes so much grudge work or grunt work out of your day if you're researching stocks. You thinking about you think about a service like. Koifin or something like that, where you can research all the financials. You get that, plus you get the the company specific KPIs. Like you mentioned it already, the Netflix, the Spotify subscriber counts, which can take so much time to just research yourself. It's it's all centralized. It's really pretty sweet. So, really recommend checking it out. Stratosphere.io. Um, and uh, if if you're looking for a paid plan, you get fifteen percent off with that code CCM. But without further ado, here's our interview with Sean Wang. all right today uh we are welcomed in by or we are joined by sean wang he's first time guest and i believe he uh he found us by listening to the show and we are for for our recurring listeners you know that we talk about cloud cloud all the time cloud computing but we're novices and sean said I can I can provide some some helpful uh, context on the cloud industry, and we knew that would hopefully be a a great listen for uh, or a great episode for listeners. And just a little bit about uh, Sean—he's the head of developer experience at Airbyte. He's also the author of the Coding Career Handbook. So, if you if you like this interview and you want to read up on anything else, feel free to check that stuff out. We'll uh, we'll link the handbook in the in the bio. But before we start, I I do want to say. I personally am really looking forward to this because I think cloud is a space that, and I'm sure you get these comments all the time, it's an industry that tons of investors are excited about just because of the economic characteristics and that kind of the growth at scale that they're seeing from Amazon and a lot of the other big tech companies as well in the industry. But it's kind of one that you just vaguely know, myself included. Uh, we know we understand the concept but not quite the ins and outs so hopefully this interview can provide some additional context but before we get into that let's talk about you what's your background and and how did you I guess what are you doing today
2: yeah um, probably my background is more relevant here so uh, thanks for having me on Uh, yeah so I literally I I was a I've been listening for a few months uh, and then I heard you guys struggling with cloud stuff and I was like I, I know cloud stuff. I can come on and, and chat with you. Um, so my background is useful here because I used to be in finance. I used to uh, be in sales and trading on currency derivatives. And then I switched over to, uh, to the buy side uh, trading TMT stocks. So uh, Tech Media Telecom in uh, a hedge fund. I was in Ballyasni for uh, a couple of years. Um, and over there, I. Uh, you know it was it was kind of quantum mental is what they call it which is what can you you uh, mix qualitative with uh, quantitative uh, investing uh, and we covered a bunch of cloud stuff um similarly right like, uh, this is in 2014 2015 and um there was so many uncertainties from the financial side because like I could break down a financial statement I could talk about like projections and stuff like that. But really when it came down to the underlying technology, I didn't know uh, a router from like a switch or whatever, right? Like it was just so um, opaque to me and I felt very uncomfortable with that. Um, and I think my key learning, I think it was 2015, there was a small bout. Uh, I don't know if uh, either of you guys were covering Amazon at the time, but uh, there was a small, about a worry with regards to the economy and like, will we going into recession? Like we now know that we weren't, we're not, but like back then it was one of those moments where it kind of felt like the end of 2021 where everyone was like, okay, this is the peak. This is it. You know, <laughs> you don't actually know. Um, and there was a thesis, we were long Amazon and we actually sold our Amazon position because there was a thesis that, um, Amazon's uh, AWS division w- would suffer because it was overexposed to startups. Um, and I, in in then 2015, 2016 played out and it turned out that it was complete nonsense and Amazon, uh, compounded quite a bit and we fell behind in our, <laughs> in our, in our uh, benchmark because of that. Um, and I think that spurred me a lot to realize I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was, I was talking about, Talking points that the rest of the street was talking about and had no fundamental understanding of the business, and probably that was going to be important if I wanted to understand this completely. So I switched careers completely. I went from uh, tech, to, uh, so I went from finance to tech. I went into a coding boot camp and I came out of it as a software engineer and uh, worked my way up. Um, and so yeah, that's that's a little bit of my my background. I, I can talk about what I'm doing today, but I just saw Brett unmute. So did you have
1: a question? Uh, I was, uh, yeah, warming up for the next question. If you have anything else though, uh, uh, well, I'll or, give you, yeah.
2: yeah, I'll give you a bit, I'll, I'll fill out the background a little bit. So yeah. uh, left Ballyasny, went to boot camp, and then uh, was a software engineer for a bit, uh, and then joined Netlify, which is a second layer cloud, which is something we'll talk about, uh, built on top of AWS, um, and then left Netlify to join AWS itself, uh, worked there for a year, um, and then, uh, and now moved into uh, data engineering, which is my, my current role at Airbyte. Uh, so I can talk about the, the breadth of the cloud services and the startup ecosystem, the small players and the big players. Um, I don't have specific numbers in mind because I'm not an industry analyst, but I can talk about it from the developer point of view and answer any questions you may have.
1: All right, yeah, we're going to move right into that. Uh, we're going to get into the details. We're going to hit the individual big threes, and then we're going to hit stuff like Cloudflare, Snowflake, and then the second layer stuff like you mentioned, and a few other things. But first, I think just as an overview, some people might not even understand you know what's driving uh or who who's even spending money in the cloud today what does the cloud market look like in late 2022
2: please <laughs> See that's one of those industry and one of those questions that I'm that I'm like I, I, you know uh, I, I would just refer you to one of those reports. Uh, it, it, I, at this point, you know I think at the at the high level, um, if you talk about like Fortune 500 type companies, it's the CIOs and the CTOs. They would talk about things in terms of digital transformation, right? What percent of their workload uh, is in the cloud versus on their own uh, premises? Um, and I think the numbers are somewhere between 30 to 50 percent of all. Computing and all IT budget is uh, in the cloud, um, so there there is still significant. There's, there's been a lot of progress made, but then there's there's still some ways to go. Probably we'll never reach 100%, but maybe the steady state of things will be 70 to 80%, which means there's another doubling from here. I don't. These are numbers I'm just kind of roughly ballparking for you. I don't actually know the, the full numbers and obviously individual sources will differ in their statistics. I do think that the probably the best way to identify all these sort of very, very high level macro things is to look at the individual cloud keynotes. So AWS reinvents uh, Google's um, and, and Azure's uh, events, uh, respectively. They'll they'll talk a little bit about their their runway. Um, famously, um, uh, Jeff Bezos was like, this is TAM unconstrained. <laughs> but I mean, that's not realistic. Like there is a TAM, it's just very big. So who knows? Uh, it's hundreds of billions of dollars.
1: Gotcha. And I think, you know, the growth has been phenomenal over the last five years. And I think for context today, Listeners would be, you know, it'd be helpful to understand what drove growth over the last five years and what do you think will drive growth, say, from we're not talking about maybe just revenue or whatever, just from a usage perspective as someone that works in industry today, what will drive growth over the next five? And do you think maybe it's the same exact thing?
2: Okay, interesting. Um, So, again, this is another sort of industry wide thing that, like, I I would mark myself as not an expert um the last three years have been basically determined by covid right uh and then there's t- sort of two years before that uh fortunately that's exactly the the uh, pretty much the amount of time I've been in the industry I would say that a big part of growth has been driven by essentially the programmatic configuration of cloud um you used to have to go if you think about the early days of Amazon think about the early days of like the the earlier clouds like RackSpace or digital ocean or you know any anything that's sort of older, uh, you would have to go in and sort of configure things yourself um, to SSH into terminals and then um, set them up by running terminal commands. This would be a lot of the job of a sysadmin um, that has essentially upgraded into uh, what uh, the profession is now called DevOps, um, where, where it's like a developer-driven uh, operational um, engineer, um, and you would provision large. Uh, quantities of cloud resources by running Terraform scripts or configuring Kubernetes. Um, each of these technologies uh, have risen to essentially control vast uh, pro- uh, swarms of, of, of cloud resources uh, on your behalf. Uh, and that, I think that's that's really scary for some people because um, you like it's it's very hard for one person to understand all of it and the cloud diagrams are ridiculous uh, but i think it's pretty optimistic for the capabilities of the individual developer because i can control so much more than an individual machine um if you think about you know the the sort of alternative to cloud and this is like the how people got started with their IT stuff in the 90s. Like you would have to buy machines, you have to rack and stack them in a the data center. And the primary purpose of cloud is to to get to eliminate all these, right, that, that uh, they would run the data center for you and you would sort of um, just buy them off the shelf um, on, by clicking some buttons and you would have it spun up for you. Um, so I think going from that, going from sort of clicking buttons in the UI, which is what we call click ops to, Infrastructure as code, which is pro- pro- programmatically provisioning vast quantities of these and managing them in a very deterministic fashion that, uh, that we understand, uh, exactly what's going on. Um, that has been a, a big driver for, for cloud in the past five years. Um, I would also say something that I've been personally involved in is, is essentially the evolution of second layer clouds like Netlify, the company I used to work at, Vercel, Um, and there is a bunch of others. There's railway. There's, there's a, there's a whole ecosystem of verticalized clouds on top of the, the big three clouds uh which are providing horizontal services uh as well so um i i don't know if i mean and then off so that that's the macro sort of fundamental trends that is going on the the uh, the evolution of devops um it was accelerated by COVID, uh, obviously because everyone needed to move online uh not because developers were basically working online anyway. Like I was remote before COVID. And so like my life didn't change, which is a little bit worrying to me. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think just the the sheer amount of e-commerce, for example, that moved online, the the sheer amount of SaaS services that people started paying for. um, You know, if you think about um, uh, this, the scaling needs of something like uh, Clubhouse or Zoom that suddenly overnight became... Business critical stuff. Um, these th- these were only made possible because uh, in the past, like three to four years, we actually had uh, all the technolo- techn- technology advances made to in- increase the provisioning of cloud uh, in in a in a in a very quick fashion. So, uh, and a- another thing I I like to bring out now that ChatGPT has happened is ChatGPT scaled from zero to one million users in five days, uh, and that sort of thing doesn't uh, typically doesn't happen without uh, programmatic cloud provisioning.
0: Okay, I've got. I've got like a million follow-ups, but I think I'm going to start with, uh, I'll start with, I guess, the legacy system or what it used to be and maybe still is to some extent today. Are are there any advantages from a startup's perspective of going with the traditional model of, I think the term you used was rack and stack or on-premise servers, as opposed to- Bare metal
2: is another word. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Are are there any advantages to that or is it just too costly?
2: Cost, uh, well, cost and control, right? Um, so uh, I have friends who work at Equinix and uh, and Packet and uh, other bare, bare metal providers. They are very specialized in in terms of uh, those those costs, and um, I think basically, whenever you make these kinds of cloud cloud decisions, you can always go down one layer of abstraction in order to gain more control to and to uh, to Decrease costs as well, um, but that it, th- there are trade-offs for that, right? In exchange for that, you, you do take on more maintenance. Uh, like you would have to have the the people who know how to do that on staff. Um, and when things go wrong, like you can't blame anyone else. You have to go fix it yourself, like that sort of thing. And and to some extent, in enterprise SaaS, which is most of the the, the businesses that I'm involved in, um, there is an acceptable level of failure. Where if AWS is down, you can just blame it on AWS, and no one no one will. Will blame you. Whereas if you took over your own data centers and your data centers catch fire or go down, it's on you. And (laughs) there is a there's a little bit of trade off there. Um, I will also uh, offer up the idea that um, specialized cloud services uh, do exist and are valid. So for example, right now in the AI AI field, there is a nuclear arms race for NVIDIA A100 chips, and all those are essentially uh, GPU server farms that are independently run because Amazon just would not invest in that uh, itself you want to control that yourself right so that amount of control specialized compute uh, it's not a cost decision it's just simply those generalized general big three cloud services don't have your use case in mind
1: and there's also with that security is important i don't know if you're mentioning that in kind of a Security is
2: important. Uh, right, There's a very right. famous uh, Google Cloud video uh, by Stephanie Wong there, their, their uh, head developer advocate, of the, like five layers of security to just get into a data center in, in Google, uh, which is pretty uh, fascinating if you want to check that out.
0: All right. Another question. You mentioned, uh, I believe the term was second, second layer cloud. Can you describe what that is just broadly and then um, maybe some of, the, some of the examples, like an example use case?
2: Yeah. uh, So a a cloud built on top of clouds. (laughs) And it it is, uh, it sounds ridiculous until you try to use Amazon and and you realize that you need to go to, you know, Amazon cloud school for nine months in order to get something productive done. Or you could build, uh, you could use a service that's built on top of Amazon that is specialized for your use case. So I came from a background of primarily JavaScript developers. So let's say, overall population of developers in the world is about 70 80 million developers about 30 30 40 million of them are JavaScript another 30 30 40 million are Python uh, and the rest are a fairly long tail of C-sharp and Swift and what what have you uh, so JavaScript is is a huge chunk of developers and these guys do not know Cloud they 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 do not have the patience to go learn uh AWS Cloud formation they don't don't have the patience to to wrangle like a bunch of different things uh, so essentially, uh, what these second layer clouds are, are cloud distributions, a predefined preset number of things. I will pick, you know, five of these things for you and set them up in, in a way such that you don't have to think about them. You, as a non specialist in cloud, can actually use them. Um, and I, I I think that is basically emerging as. Um, a, a huge trend. I mean, emerging is a, is is, a, is understating it because this was an investment thesis like five years ago that has largely played out. So I mean, it's pretty much <laughs> it's pretty much validated. Uh, and so, Vercel, Netlify, um, Begin, uh, Railway, uh, these are all second layer accounts, all built on top of AWS or Azure or GCP. Um, to verticalize to serve a certain segment of the market that is underserved by definition, because uh, the the big clouds just cannot optimize for those those things. Um, and so, if you build a better developer experience, uh, they will migrate to you, and essentially they they become aggregators aggregators of that audience for the first layer clouds. And it's I think it's a nice symbiotic relationship, but it's also a little bit uncomfortable because at some point, if you want to gain more control over your margins, then yes, you do build your own. Um, uh data centers and you start leaving amazon Uh, but that is intended to be an abstraction layer and most companies haven't had to reach there i mean it's essentially getting to the point where um like the aws and gcps and azure's of the world the first layer clouds uh, become um, commodity providers of infrastructure um and there's pretty much no reason why you would ever try to compete with them. You should try to compete on user experience, on developer experience, um, on features, on on things that they care about, rather than the, the sheer operation of machines, uh, which uh, you know the AWS data center people are perfectly capable of doing.
1: Does the second layer cloud change the... This might not be something you know, but since you worked in the industry, you might. Does it change the unit economics for... The big cloud providers are they getting, say, lower margin? Do you believe, um, or w- what's the revenue share like for a uh, so, second layer cloud versus AWS?
2: So as far as it, as, as I'm aware, AWS is concerned, uh, AWS doesn't care at all. These 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 companies appear like regular customers to them. They just they're basically aggregators of demand, right? Like uh, they're they're sort of resellers. Uh, it's almost all, it's almost like a drop shipper <laughs> of uh, of compute services um, as far as they as far as they're concerned. Obviously, you know the second layer clouds are very incentivized to provide value added services on top of them, and and they do. Um, and so it's intended to be higher margin but lower volume, right? And you sort of try to make it up from there. Um, uh, but I think you know in a in a in a in a weird way it kind of makes sense that they're symbiotic in the sense that like um, Amazon. You know, it's focused on on margins, focused on large scale. Whereas the the smaller clouds uh, focus on uh, higher margins, but uh, but maybe slightly smaller TAM. But I mean, like I just told you, like the TAM is still pretty huge. Um, the the fact that you can build uh, multiple unicorns on top of uh, AWS kind of speaks for itself.
0: All right, we're we're going to talk about each of the big cloud providers individually, but uh, kind of just looking at them as a whole. AWS, Azure, and GCP. Account for the majority of the market right now. I believe I saw one of those industry analyst reports that was like seventy five percent
2: in that ballpark. Yeah. Why? There's, local, there's IBM. Yeah.
0: Okay. Why would that change over the f- future? Is there any way
2: that it's not changing? It's <laughs> there's, there's not even worth discussing. It's not changing.
1: <laughs> there's. So I guess what are the, what are the advantages
2: then? Yeah. Well,
1: why is it so entrenched?
2: Why is it so entrenched? Uh, for one thing, uh, big gets bigger in tech. That's definitely something that you 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 see a lot. Like the the sheer network advantages of um, I serve more customers, therefore I know more customers, uh, and I can build more for them because I have more resources. Because I from the, from the from the same money that I got, big just tends to get bigger in tech uh, and being one of the big three, uh, the the fact that there, there's an, it feels like an arbitrary cutoff, but I think it's quite a big uh, gap between between them and everyone else. Um, uh, that's the default 90% of the time that it gets bigger in tech. You, ha- you have to come up with something really disruptive and we're gonna talk about Cloudflare later on. You have to come up with really something different uh, in order to change those rankings. And the other is Oracle, IBM, Tencent even, uh, no one's talking about them in, in any sort of capacity as uh, being able to take uh, take the others on. So it's pretty much me too services. Uh, uh, if if you like, if you're in the Oracle ecosystem, if you're in the IBM ecosystem, you use their stuff. But otherwise, there's no reason to use them. Um, and yeah, I mean, so I I do also think that basically developer mindshare leads to um, uh, leads to market share. Um, and as far as the mindshare goes, uh, it's pretty much those big three.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense. And we're going to hit Cloudflare, but first, I think it'd be very interesting because from our perspective, and I think a lot of investors' perspectives, they look at AWS, GCP, and Azure, and they are the exact same thing. So I want to look at each yeah, and not, look. Yeah. yeah, I know that they're probably not the exact same thing. So I want to look at each and say like, why? If you're a startup, if you're a mid-sized company, if you're a legacy company like say Walmart trying to transition somewhere. We'll start with AWS. Why would someone choose AWS, say, all costs being equal, or maybe the cost, there's a difference there, um, over a GCP or, or an Azure?
2: Yeah, I'll say all uh, from, from from the bat, we should probably ignore cost uh, because cost is a very complicated discussion, and probably all of them are approximately equal. Uh, there will be some things that are cheaper in the other clouds because AWS... Uh, uh, surprisingly it does charge a premium on some things uh, but other, other than that like they they're pretty much comparable so you're you really talking about features and, and and uh you know market focus um, so aws was essentially the first cloud um there's there's some claim that that uh gcp might be first uh but uh, really it, it, pretty much everyone dis, uh, regards aws as the first cloud um you uh there are very strong reasons for for adopting them is essentially uh, that they have the deepest talent pool. There are entire industries uh, and and a horde of people specialized to to help you optimize your AWS cost um, and to to get you set up and and to to administer AWS carefully. Um, So just based on the ecosystem of existing partners and people that you can hire um, and and administrate and and, and run these things, um, AWS just... Uh, is the default choice for most people, um, including, by the way, uh, with startups, because uh, for example, AWS will do things like if you get accepted into Y Combinator, you get 150K in AWS credits right out of the bat. Um, don't quote me on that exact number. It's, it's in the ballpark of 100, 150K. Uh, and this is the same amount that you get from YC itself. So they give you the, um, they give you a lot of incentives to to get you started on the cloud and um, and once you're started you're kind of sticky like you, you're not going to migrate just for just from your cost reasons particularly if the costs are comparable uh, so a, a big reason to choose AWS is just entrenched uh, existing ecosystem um, they they have a really good startup program I'll talk about the other companies in in a bit but. Um, uh, and, and they have probably the widest array of offerings. Uh, that's a pro and a con because it's extremely confusing to choose between 17 different types of compute on AWS. But the fact is that they have the largest customers. If they're, uh, you know, a lot of times the, the thinking will go, well, hey, I mean, if if Netflix tried to build the cloud and then they, they gave up and they <laughs> went back to Amazon, uh, you know, can you do better than that? And the answer is probably no. <laughs> and if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you.
0: What about Azure? Because it, it seems yeah. like they've been gaining share a, a bit. How would yep. they, wh- why would someone choose them over GCP or AWS?
2: Yeah. So I was listening to you guys' uh uh, so the, the episode where I where I DM'd you guys, um, I heard that you guys were talking about Azure as like the the, the second the, the last choice pick because they they're more serving legacy, uh, um, you know, uh, companies. Um, tell us, of, despair, tell us
1: if that is completely wrong. <laughs> we're
2: dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not the way that most people would phrase it, uh, because everyone serves legacy in some point, and especially like. It's kind of a goal. And if you work in infrastructure to serve legacy companies, because they have a lot of uh, money. Um, the, the, the way that you've talked about it in, in, terms of Azure is that they have the best distribution. Uh, they have uh, the Microsoft's ecosystem is extremely strong. The, uh, the, the partners, the, the selling, uh, is extremely strong. If you already bought into like the rest of the Microsoft stack, you might as well adopt Azure is, is kind of the, the way to think about it. Uh, that's the one thing. The second thing is, is now with, uh, with the open AI stuff, they, they might actually, uh, be the preferred uh, partner of choice because they have made a very strategic bet on AI, and it is starting to pay off. Uh, they invested a billion dollars into OpenAI. Uh, they have always been the first cloud to uh, to offer credits and and um, a lot of user support when it comes to starting up AI businesses. Uh, and so, I would say that they are the friend of AI companies right now, uh, like even over Amazon and Google, which is surprising because Google. Uh, you know, we'll talk about Google in a bit. Um, but yeah, I would not describe them as as serving legacy. Like they they serve as a very specific um, enterprise part of the business um, that may, maybe like is less visible because they don't have like the Netflixes of the world. Uh, but they actually do quite well. There, I think they're in number two position. Um, to put numbers, I think I have numbers actually. So AWS has because uh, I, I I pulled this up. I only have this this one number. AWS is sixty two billion in revenue. Uh, Azure is fifty two billion, and GCP is at twenty eight billion. So uh, a firm third place there.
1: Yeah, and and Azure, they don't even. It's so hard. Like they they don't report that on a. Um, I, I don't know. There's there's they're they're a little coy with reporting that number every quarter. But yeah, that's all of
2: them are. Yeah, I, uh, AWS put off um, breaking out. Uh, you know, US numbers for, for many years. And I think that I I, so I remember I was interviewing for a hedge fund job the day that they stood it out and like the stock wow. itself jumped five percent, <laughs> which for for Amazon's size is pretty significant.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've uh, I've I've read about that day being uh, kind of a crazy <laughs> one for the industry when they finally broke out the numbers and you the know, margins. You but... know, it's a
2: big deal. Yeah. I mean, like we kind of knew it was a big deal, but like we didn't know it was like profitable, we didn't know like how big it was. Um, and yeah you've, you've got you guys have all had that discussion already, so I will repeat it. but uh, so so I think Azure you know, um, the, it's kind of a weird thing to say that distribution matters but if distribution matters then Microsoft is really, really good at it because they also happen to sell you know Windows and office and uh, LinkedIn and you know whatever else have you and uh, they, they do like to bundle that and they, they do like to make sure that if you're in the Microsoft, uh, ecosystem they, you, you you adopt the entire Microsoft stack, including by the way, programming languages. So if you are in the C sharp stack, um, uh, that is a uh that is you, you are automatically captive to, to, to Microsoft, which is huge. Um C sharp, like most people like people of my kind will never touch them, but we respect them in the sense that it is a very productive stack. Uh it is completely designed end to end by Microsoft. And um I think it's uh it, it's doing it's doing very well in its own is in its own way.
1: Gotcha. All right. And last one, third place, I think they have about 10% market share would be GCP, Google Cloud. Why yeah. would someone choose them over AWS and Azure? And you had a follow-up when I sent this over about them having, you know, creating Kubernetes and transformers and how that gave them maybe an advantage. So what what's holding them back, I guess, from yeah, being as big yes. as the other guys?
2: So before this show, I was commenting to you that, um, Google has had two very big. I mean, and this is not exhaustive. But just just two of the big uh, innovations in tech in the past ten years. Which is one is just Kubernetes. They they they, uh, which is an uh, external version of the internal version that they developed for themselves called Borg, um, and that is the the, the behemoth uh, cloud management runtime that essentially uh, has has won the cloud orchestration wars. Um, if you and anytime you see like kubecon, cloud native con, any 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 of those words that come up that is an a sign that they're part of the kubernetes ecosystem. And by now most companies especially if you're infrastructure companies you run on kubernetes. Uh, so Google released this and then failed to capture market share despite being the creators of kubernetes, despite being the first consumers of borg. Uh, and that's a shame. <laughs> I would say that Amazon Kubernetes Service and Azure Kubernetes Service are probably bigger than GCP, <laughs> which is sad. Uh, and then, and then, and then, Google also invented the transformer in twenty seventeen, which, uh, which is the core architecture for all the large language models. <laughs> and now Azure is the AI company <laughs> um gotcha so, and uh, they are really missing the ball there
1: <laughs> uh large language models that's the open AI stuff right and all the yes. stuff that the chat box aligns okay.
2: with yeah aligned with uh Microsoft yes
1: gotcha just wanted um, to have that but continue
2: yeah absolutely yeah yeah so uh so a uh, a uh, uh, quite a like, Look, like I don't know the people involved. I'm sure they're very smart, very, very well, very capable. Uh, but th- there's, uh, you know, there's a pr- there's a perspective that it's been mismanaged. Uh, they had some churn in the CEO. Um, I, I forget was it Diane something um, it was a was a former CEO of, of uh, one of the companies that they acquired. Um, she was in and out for like three years, and it, it was just kind of mismanaged from the top. Um, and I also wanted to cover briefly uh, Steve Yegi, who is a very prominent developer, uh, early Amazon and early Google. Um, So has seen uh, at AWS and then seen GCP form from the very beginning. He has a very famous platforms rant that I would refer everyone to. He had, there is an original one and then there was a follow up, uh, that people should check out, uh, that describes why GCP is in third place, that they, that they have, uh, not been able to maintain their products for developers in a way that they, that they would trust. Uh, so they would randomly deprecate things overnight. So the, th- the thing that you build your entire business on, they will, they'll, they'll send you a notice and say like, oh, like we have a new version of this. Yeah. Your, the thing that you're using is going to be deprecated at the end of the year please move um and unscheduled it spends is never a good thing <laughs> with uh with a with a platform that you want to build on so they have this reputation of you know discontinuing stuff yes in the consumer division obviously the stadia and like you know the 10 different uh, chat apps that they have consumer division is very different from gcp right so the gcp people will tell you like yeah we are very we're a different very different org than the rest of google uh, but they have this Stain and reputation, and is something that they're working very hard to overcome. Um, they have, uh, if you ever want to talk to someone from GCP, uh, I think their head of marketing, I forget their name, uh, their head of marketing, re- recently came from Amazon uh, and is trying to uh, figure out like how how do we how do we fix the the image. Obviously, Google like is is itself very good at cloud. Uh, they they don't get platforms is the assertion there, and it's something that they have to overcome.
0: All right, last one, I guess, on the individual cloud players. Uh, Cloudflare, and we we did that interview a while back um, discussing the business, but people may not have listened to that. So, could you talk about, I guess, what Cloudflare is, and then you mentioned that they're beating AWS at their own game. What do you mean by that? <laughs> uh,
2: so that's a, that's a little bit of a um, provocative title, you know. Obviously, AWS is uh, something like something in the order of fifty to sixty times the Cloudflare size, so it's kind of a Pain in the neck for them. Um, so Cloudflare is a first and foremost a content delivery network, um, which is uh, it, I actually went back and listened to your interview previously, and I thought it was very well, very well done. So it competes with Akamai, it competes with um, uh, other CDNs I can't name because uh, there's so many of them. Uh, AWS itself has a CDN um, called CloudFront, uh, and uh, there there is there are some market shares to statistics out there. I would say CloudFront and Cloudflare have about the same. Uh, market position, um, uh, both sort of tied for number one. Um, and, and so, what what a CDN does is it accelerates delivery of your content. Um, whenever you are requesting data uh, for for watching your videos or uh, requesting reading something from a website, downloading any image, um, does it? It doesn't necessarily come from uh, an origin server, which is let's say uh, for for most of Amazon, it would come from US East One, which is in Virginia, uh, some data center in Virginia, like. The concept of a physical location for for your data, for your code, for anything that is that's being run or downloaded, um, goes away with the CDN because then it would be distributed to the edge. Uh, and Cloudflare has something like on the order of ten thousand points of presence around the world, um, and that is about a couple of orders of magnitude more than the points of presence that Amazon has. Um, uh, and any any CDN provider would basically provide uh, something like this that caches your stuff at the edge, um, has a cache expiry basically accelerates the, your, the speed of your experience. Um, and that's how they started out. Um, I would say that the other thing that they provide is also security services. So CloudFare's innovative um, um, approach to the market was essentially to take uh, a firewall um, that most people would charge for and give it away for free. Just give it away. Just like take uh and, and that was extremely disruptive because everyone else was charging for it and they were like, nope, we'll do it for you for free. And I think the thing that people don't understand is that uh there's a huge um growth. Uh, sorry, there's a huge gain in value when you do things at scale. And f- for them, giving away for free gave them the most data about DDoS attacks, which is something that you guys covered in your in your previous interview as well. Um, and by by that, Points making them Cloudflare become the uh, world experts in DDoS. Um and so I it's it's come to a point where I've heard startup founders themselves um just go like uh just put Cloudflare in front of it. Like it, it always solves DDoS. Um and whenever uh in, any founders, I've heard a founder basically say like they are the sort of pain button whenever um whenever they're Experiencing a pretty bad security attack, um, there's a button that you can push for uh, premium cloud fair support. You pay them like 60 grand or something, they'll come in and fix it for you. Uh, and they are extremely capable of that. And it's so, so it's, so it's very uh, interesting and, dis- and disruptive. Um, so from the security side, from the content side, that's good. You know, um, by the way, for those who don't know cloud there's sort of three main categories of monetization right there's compute storage and network um, so primarily they are monetizing network uh, which is how much uh, data goes back and forth over over your network that's or bandwidth is, is as you call it um compute and storage are are less important for for Cloudflare. Um, but there's something that that's something that they're going into. So uh, probably the their newest, hottest thing is essentially the Edge Worker platform. Um, uh, or Cloudflare Workers is what they call it. So Cloudflare Workers launched as a smart edge functionality where you could run compute at the edge. Uh, and this would be good for things like redirects and authentication and um you know rendering and, and a bunch of other uh small smaller use cases. But that is now increasingly growing because they've also added storage solutions. So now they have the full suite of compute storage and edge, uh, compute storage and bandwidth, uh, except that they've done it in a decentralized fashion compared to AWS. Um, And uh, it's pretty interesting because they are now the technology leaders in in edge working um, to the point where they have a three times cost advantage to AWS Lambda at edge, like the equivalent competing solution from AWS. and so most people would pick them over to AWS at this point. And so my, my my blog post on this, when I was when I realized this, I was like, "Holy crap, this is huge!" Um, I called it eating AWS from the outside in. Right? You do not go after AWS itself to to compete with AWS. You surround AWS with all your services. Right? Like I would I would run my business on AWS, but. On top of it, I would add Cloudflare for the DDoS protection, for the caching speed, right? And then, and then I'll move some of my compute and storage over to the Edge Workers platform. And then, pretty much, I don't need AWS anymore because I've just moved increasingly more and more pieces of my business to Cloudflare. <laughs> and that's essentially the the strategy to becoming the fourth cloud.
1: That's pretty a bold bold pitch on uh, Cloudflare. Although, again, none of this is an investing advice. Everyone should do their own cool. research and go listen to that. We did. I think it was a couple hours. We did in a two part interview with. Joe Framansky yeah. over at Non-Zero-Sum yeah, Capital. Yeah, he knows yeah, the he industry also, quite well. Yeah.
2: He also mentioned the R2 uh, thing, which is, uh, again, the most bold-faced wrapper service strategy I've ever seen. Uh, so literally, so uh, AWS, uh, I think their second or third ever service. The most popular service by far is AWS S3, Simple Storage Service. Uh, and that is the default store of all data on the web. Um, anytime you upload a file, you, you you look at the URL. It's If it says S3 on it, that's that's AWS. Cloudflare is saying, right, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap around you like every service and we'll we'll make your, we'll reduce your bandwidth cost to zero because AWS charges for all, all downloads. We'll just say, Cloudflare just like, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it for you and make the downloads free. Uh, and that's something that uh, Cloudflare has just pursued for years and AWS just has not. Uh, AWS is not interested in being friends of any other any other cloud providers, whereas Cloudflare has a, has a bandwidth alliance that they've established where they have peering agreements that make data transfer free uh, for everyone who's not naming AWS. Which is extremely, extremely aggressive, Uh, but it's working.
1: (laughs) Gotcha. And if so, I think that leads into this next part pretty smoothly. People talk about multi-cloud. You know, there's Snowflake is the biggest one. I think that you know was a hot topic. Maybe no, no, uh, no, no.
2: no, Those those are different uh, concepts.
1: Okay, well, correct. I guess correct me if I'm wrong. Then or uh, define multi-cloud. I guess because maybe we don't understand it. But
2: exactly does that turn?
1: the industry into a commodity, uh, and why or why not?
2: Um, no, it does not. Does the, turn, the industry is turning itself into a commodity. It doesn't need to help a multi-cloud to do that, just because of a race to the bottom in prices. Um, uh, so multi-cloud... Uh, is it is it the reason i has such an instinctive no when you when you mention snowflake is because that's not usually the way that people talk about multi cloud uh the typical way that people talk about multi cloud is uh if I, if for example you are using both azure and amazon in the same company uh for for different services different features that they have um so uh typically that seems like a waste that seems like you want to centralize your budget um, but realistically each of these companies would have different offerings that might appeal to different parts of your company. Uh, And who are you as Mr. CTO or Mrs. CIO to dictate what I use, right? I, I, as the developer, I am the expert uh, and I should make the the best technical choices that serves my product and and matches my expertise, right? So there's this back and forth between the the top-down decision-making in tech versus the bottom-up decision-making that's that's going on. And, And I think a lot of companies rightly are just saying, well, I don't I don't care. Like, I, you know, I just managed to spend. But, um, you know, as long as I as long as my developers are happy and productive, um, I don't actually care what tech you use. Uh, and that's probably the right approach. Um, but there is something to be said about centralizing costs in, in a way that you can negotiate at a company wide level. Right. So I think there's a back and forth between the uh, bottom up and top down thing. Um, there are multi cloud companies that are. Um, uh, Targeted at serving this market, um, you know, uh, probably one of the uh, more interesting one is HashiCorp, um, and uh, one of the one of the ways I always uh, talk about the. Multi-cloud strategy is most people are multi-cloud by accident. Like they're not multi-cloud by choice. Um, usually, for example, uh, when it's decided at the, co- at the corporate level to make an acquisition, um, like a large company buys a medium-sized company, and then at the integration stage, when they, when, they, when all the acquisition details have been worked out, they discover they're working on different clouds. Do you force a rewrite? No, that's stupid. Like that's a, that's a huge uh, cost expense that you don't have. They don't have to avoid. Uh, so th- that you can just avoid. Um, so most people, most companies are essentially multi cloud by accident and that is completely fine what are are, are the
0: feature offerings from the different providers is there a lot of overlap do they do a lot of them like already provide a lot of the same features and it's more just like one's a better product or are they more like specialized
2: yeah um there's a long tail um so there is yes there is a lot of overlap but all you need is one feature you can't get from someone, <laughs> and you're just going to go after that one, right? Uh, particularly if it's some AI thing from Azure uh, or some uh, Kubernetes thing from from uh, GCP uh, that A- that Amazon just doesn't have, you're going to go for it um, because you know uh, Amazon doesn't offer it. You're going to go for it. Uh, but yeah, like like I said, right? Like most of the universe can be can be consolidated into. Uh, you know, 17 different types of compute, 17 different types of storage, 17 different types of networking, um, and there's you know the Amazon basics version of this, there's the Google basics version of this, there's a, they all have like slightly different um, takes on it, and companies like HashiCorp are helping to commoditize between them, um, but. Not in a way that is seriously damaging, um, uh, because all they do is help pave over, pave over the APIs. There will be Terraform providers, um, that you can sort of adapt to each of these. Um, so I don't think that is the main concern. Everyone's trying to pursue sort of the value added services and, and, uh, and, and, uh, the big three clouds are, um, no special in that, right? All, all of them are trying to pursue like different ways in, in which they can capture your mind share so you stay within a particular cloud. Uh, I will, I won't highlight Amazon again as, as, uh, as a cloud that Particularly incentivizes you to stay within their cloud uh, by charging uh, what they call the data egress fees, right? Um, so you can check in, but you can't check out. Or if you, if, if you want to check out, they'll, they'll charge you for it. So if you want to operate your workloads across clouds, you're going to have to pay it for the, for the bandwidth. If you, if you want to do that, or you can take the Amazon basics version of it and stay within the cloud and not get charged for your bandwidth. So um, there, there's all these sort of incentives to, for you to centralize your workloads. Um, but if there's a feature that you just, plane do not have, um, then people will go for that.
0: Where does Snowflake fit into all this?
2: Ah, exactly. So um, why I kind of reject the the concept of of Snowflake being part of the multi-cloud story is that Snowflake is an independent data cloud right? Uh, that uh, has really carved out a niche for itself. And, probably you know in in the discussion earlier that we have uh, about talking about driving growth over, over the past five years that's one thing I missed I, I I'll go back and add that um that the 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 growth in data warehousing in general is huge huge huge, huge driver of of uh of it. spend um and has changed my own career as well I used to be on the compute side and networking side uh, and now I'm in data <laughs> um, uh, and uh, another data data point I can offer you is that AWS Redshift, which is the Amazon in-house version of Snowflake, um, is the fastest-growing Amazon service ever, um, and since since it was introduced ten years ago. Um, so it's so there's a lot of pointers towards data being uh, a central force in how people run companies. I mean you know, it's not, it's not a, it's kind of a meme to say data is the new oil, but data is the new oil. Um, and and Snowflake has really carved out a niche for itself as the best data warehouse in the space, uh, in a space filled with you know google has a google has bigquery which is probably number 2 um uh, azure has uh, synapse which is a distant number 4 number 5 um and uh, and, and gcp uh, and amazon has has redshift um so snowflake is is in that mix as uh but it but has somehow managed to carve itself out as uh, the best uh, independent data cloud uh, which which is which makes it play really nice with the other clouds um because it, ha- it has all its own independent infrastructure um but it's a, it's a really interesting non-consensus view that someone uh, who is not AWS or, or GCP or Azure can come from nowhere and just completely dominate. I think they, they at their peak, they were like $120 billion business.
1: Gotcha. And this might be... Uh, tell me if this is a dumb question, but are the cloud providers trying to vertically integrate and provide their own software tools? Because I, I kind of see yeah, sometimes... Um, and maybe Redshift is the wrong one, but you see a lot of them you know, come up with a lot of products that may, maybe they're not purely software, but they're trying to compete with, say, uh, I guess an example I know of is, is a MongoDB. Um, do you think that this strategy will work in the long run? Or I guess it's a hard question, but any, any thoughts on the vertical integration?
2: Uh, between Snowflake and Mongo? Uh,
1: no, it's just, uh, yeah, sorry. I should have for, say, the, I guess, you know AWS GCP and Azure you might have uh I forget GCP's it's BigQuery or um
2: yes, you know some of the other well stuff done. that
1: might be it might be software it's I guess it's not pure software but the you know they might have their own tools that compete with some of the uh products that are the customers of them do you think that strategy can work or is it kind of it seems like there's going to be a lot of conflict is what i'm saying
2: it seems like it but like just this sheer existence of Snowflake is actually giving me a lot of hope that uh, you can uh, build independent clouds. So you don't have to be a second layer cloud uh which is exciting uh it, it means there there is still white space left in, in in the cloud ecosystem uh but like you have to be a snowflake and, and i feel like they are they're almost like the the exception to the to the norm <laughs> so i i don't know how much to generalize from from that one example uh you did mention mongodb as a as a <clears throat> as an alternative uh, data company but uh, i would not place them in the same classes uh as snowflake uh, mongodb just happens to be a very successful um uh, database company uh with a, with a huge Licensing business that is only slowly becoming uh, its own independent cloud business, um, but uh, yeah, most database companies uh, do not reach the, the the scale of cloud business that uh, Snowflake has. Uh, so they, they've really carved out a niche for themselves as uh, as providers of uh, warehousing and and uh, particularly all the services that come with warehousing, including compute.
1: Okay, and we talked about this next question before we recorded. So, uh, as generalist, I guess or anyone that's not in the industry, which I think a lot of, you know, what's a lot of our industry uh, as investors, we think of the cloud as just, all right, you took your servers, you had them at your office, and then you moved them to whatever, the place cloud. in Oregon on the West Coast, the cloud, you know, you, made, sure, you sure. moved it to Virginia, right? And AWS does all the work. Is there anything that, is important, I guess, maybe from investment or product perspective that generalists like ourselves, investors, you know, analysts on Wall Street misunderstand about the cloud today, That that's very important.
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, I don't talk to journalists all day long, so it's not like I have a, a huge uh, grasp of, of where people are, are, are uh, off. Uh, I would say, do not underestimate the change in the way that people are using cloud. Uh, within the cloud category itself, because there's very huge structural changes in uh, in and how that works. Um, so my favorite statistic uh, coming from inside Amazon um, is that Amazon itself used to work used to run on EC2, which is Elastic Compute Cloud, which is pretty much the the first compute service that was launched in Amazon. Um, Today, 50% or more than 50% of Amazon.com's internal services that are internal customers of AWS, 50% of them use AWS Lambda, which is the serverless equivalent of EC2. Um, and that has shifted dramatically uh, towards more flexible computing, uh, faster computing, uh, more scalable computing as well. Um, and so uh, that is going to drive sort of the next wave in cloud adoption, in, in cloud spends and in, in volume. And I think... To miss that structural shift is going—you're—you're you're going to miss, um, you know, changes in in who's who's leading who, and who's uh, falling behind. Um, the role of data is something that um, I I would particularly call out as well, like the um, who's winning and uh, falling behind in the data engineering space, um, which is uh, has led to my choice of uh, company to be at. Um, and then maybe uh, you know, secondly, your clouds as well. The the the, the concept that. The big three have become so dominant that no one's trying to compete with them everyone's trying to compete on value-added stuff by verticalizing on top of the first layer clouds
0: okay taylor and off that then if we were talking on all right what's today december 19th 2022 if we're talking on december 19th 2027 what (laughs) how what does the industry look like then How, how do you think the next five years kind of work out is it still going to be uh, largely dominated by the big three in terms of market share? Or do you think, I think you, the, the term you said was eating them from the outside in, do you think more workload or, or spend is going to be with those other ancillary or, or add value added companies?
2: Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Five years. Um, so um you know, I think I think you covered this uh, as well in in the um in previous podcasts. Um, the existing commitments to AWS is very strong, uh, and the existing clouds. The, the way that you do cloud spend is you lock people in for three to five years, right? Like so, pretty much people like uh, Andy Jassy, who runs who runs Amazon now, already knows what earnings are going to be in five years. <laughs> um, so uh, the the only thing that's not determined in the in the five year window um, is how much the others will grow. Um, and the, it's not, a, it's not a fixed pie, you know, we're also moving with a, we're also dealing with a moving target. And it's very typical in growing, growing industries like this, that the incumbent players will grow, but at a slower pace and the, the up and coming players will take up the majority of the growth. Um, and so as an investor, you're like, where should you put your money? Should you put your money in the slower growing, but bigger companies, or should you put your money in the faster growing ones? And that's obviously a factor of interest rates and growth and what have you. Um, so. Typically, like it's funny to say that five years is short term, but it kind of is, <laughs> because the, the 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 bigger changes will be seen over the ten to twenty year range. But that that's that's the order of that's how downstream uh, the the financials are from the tech, right? Like the the tech is so far ahead that. You had, you kind of have to go like all right on, on principle this is the fundamentally better technology therefore this will win in a ten to twenty year time frame <laughs> which is which is a really really hard uh, thing to to try to interpret uh, which is why I'm no longer in uh, active pu- uh, public market investing by the way but <laughs> uh, but I love I, I love just uh, getting deep into the the fundamentals of, of the tech and uh, trying to determine that so yes uh, so I, I I do think that Cloudflare does have a very good shot I don't know if it's within a five year window uh, but they have uh, from a fundamental. Mental basis constructed a market position for the, for themselves where AWS cannot fight back. That is a very very good place to be in. Um, Snowflake has done that. Databricks has done that. By the way, Databricks is a, a ML version of Snowflake. Um, and and there are a bunch of the, these other smaller companies, right? Every company that you guys are dealing with is in the like. If if the market cap was a billion dollars, it'd be too small for you. If if it's in the five billion dollars, it'd be too small for you. Uh, and and I, that's a, that's a struggle that I had uh, in 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 my hedge fund. Uh, but there are so many of us in in the startup and tech ecosystem where we deal in the. 10 to 100 million dollar market cap range, like valuation range, where we're betting on the future of tech uh, that will be the dominant uh, players in 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 the distant future. So um, I don't know how to phrase that to you, apart from like I, I feel like if you're looking for investing opportunities, the world is probably wider than you think. Uh, once you look outside of public markets. <laughs>
1: Beautiful. Yeah. And so it would be very surprising to see the cloud market from a spending perspective. It doesn't matter who has the market share. That's you know it's a little bit of a harder question. It'd be hard to see it not being, say, fifty percent, a hundred percent larger five years from now, just because you have those existing long-term contracts.
2: Yes, yeah, these these things are mega trends, right? Like they are existing, like the DoD uh, moving over <laughs> to cloud. Uh, you know the 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 fact that like uh, scale scale just locked in a ten-year contract for two billion dollars. Like it's these kinds of things take uh take on the order of of a decade to play out uh and they've already pre- been predetermined today like we we know they're going to happen they they're just going to take some time to move over um, and, and uh, i mean that's encouraging in, in, in some expect but also like as investors you're looking for volatility right you want the 10 bagger in one year maybe i don't know but like <laughs> that's where that's the, those are the hero trades those are the things you talk about at bars but really like when you build a business you're you're building for sustainable revenue and predictable growth and like those things don't 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 happen because that's not how you get the big the big fish right the big fish hunt slowly and and, and there's a lot of them to go around once once they've been hunted uh so um <laughs> uh, so i don't know how to uh, how to advise uh, on that um um I, I will say you know i i think maybe in in 5 years uh, given the trajectory of ai uh progress and spend um the the sort of dark horse in in this would be um azure overtaking aws purely on ai that that would be like that that is massively projecting from today's hype. So yeah, I'm definitely talking like uh, you know, obviously after every hype there is a there is a disappointment phase. Um, so who knows? But if if any were to win uh, or to significantly disrupt the current path of, of things, is it is that AI is a much bigger deal and much bigger broader um, opportunity than most people expect today, uh, and therefore you should. Uh, invest in any any company that is much further along in the in the ai AI space and i'd probably say that azure is um, much further along okay i think i think
0: that's all the questions we have brad yeah he's giving me the thumbs up here um sean this is this is a lot of fun where if listeners want to like keep up with you what's the best place
2: to do that God, I used to say Twitter, but like now Twitter is a complete like chaos and uh, I I have no idea. Um, so you can find <laughs> me on Twitter um, uh, or you can find me on my site, uh, Strix.io. Um, I do have a couple of uh, blogs, uh, one on developer tooling and then one on AI, um, which is something I'm tracking pretty pretty closely. So yeah, find me on 6.io and it's and that's s w y x.io all right are, yeah those are my initials um right. and yeah basically i you know i just i love talking about the business implications of tech uh but it's hard to make forecasts or, you know that's that's where the the sort of analyst come in um but uh, i i think there's there's a lot to share from uh from finance people going deeper into tech and i, and I, I hope to encourage more people to understand the fundamentals because um that is what will last it's not the Quarterly, sort of missed at, missed the street, uh, you know, or beat the street. Like, I don't, I no longer care about that, and that is a great benefit to my mental health.
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if uh, AWS grew twenty eight percent versus thirty percent, like, and the don't stocks care. down five percent. You know, yeah, well, don't care. Yeah, is that a, is that a big deal? I, I, I love so. I
2: love when people talk about like percent it spend, like, <laughs> like, like, like the really really big needle moving things. Uh, those those are the things that I, I wish that more people. um, Looked after, and and I, I, you know, if I if I could go back to my f- former finance analyst days, I would have asked, I would have tried to get into a, a, a VC or, or long only uh, funds that invested that way instead of uh, what I ended up with, which is essentially a chop shop. Like we we, we had a portfolio turnover of twelve times, uh, which means that once a month we turned over our entire portfolio, uh, which is which is uh, very very stressful.
0: Yeah, that is uh, it, it, it's hard. Uh, I think focus. On, on bigger trends and longer term when you're turning it over that 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 much. But uh, I think that's going to do it. Thank you, Sean, for doing this. I should, we should throw a disclosure mm-hmm. on here. Uh, Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss uh, is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you again, Sean, for coming on the show. This was a blast and we will see you all next time. Okay, I'm welcomed by the founder of our exclusive sponsor, stratosphere.io, uh, Braden Dennis. Braden, welcome. I wanted to basically give listeners that are interested in Stratosphere more context around what the platform is. So let's start there. What is Stratosphere? And then why did you decide to start it?
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm glad to be sponsoring the podcast as, as a listener myself. I like the deep dives. I like the different guests, the different perspectives on uh, some interesting companies. So I think it's a good concept for a podcast, which is kind of what led me down to making Stratosphere in the first place, which was I was making content online and frustrated with the tools that were available to me. So I started building uh, a very scrappy version of the product just for free, just to figure out like... How can I overlay 10 years of financial side by side you know, up to 35 years we have now, and how can I actually build out a proper database of of company KPIs that are not just revenue, but like if you're looking at like Costco, like how many warehouses do they have? How many paid members are are in like our Costco members, or you know if I want to do a comp against like the streaming, like how many Netflix subs versus uh, HBO Plus, Discovery Plus no disney plus like how do i build out proper comps of those because those are the metrics that actually move the business those are the ones that actually move the needle more than any like gap financial metric you'll find and so it started off as just purely a passion project and i figured let's just make the leap into entrepreneurship and uh see where it goes and you know it brought brought us here today
0: yeah and like you mentioned it is the stuff that you can't find Anywhere else, at least not in. A, I mean, you could find it page by page and on their financials, Exactly,
3: but you can go through thirty-five uh, PDF filings and find it. Be be my guest, and and that and that's basically what we did for a long time.
0: So, what do I guess? Maybe describe the pricing model so people know. Sure. But uh, you're going to say it, it. There's there's a free platform. What do free users get?
3: yeah good good thing because our, our mission was to always build a free platform and and so we really kept true to our mission and give like an amazing platform for free, which gives you 10 years of financial statements on 40,000 global securities. So we don't list you just to U.S securities, it's on global stocks. We give you a watch list, the screener, comparisons on competitors, fundamental charting up to 10 years filings transcripts you can look at the press releases right inside the app news etfs funds super investors hedge fund letters investor holdings and financial calendars those are all the features you'll get on uh on the free tier now on on the the middle tier, the personal tier, you're going to unlock up to 35 years of financials and just kind of like nice to have, like quality of life, like notifications being built in, um, price targets for building models, uh, like business owner mode where you can hide prices, like kind of like just that next level for for individual investors who want to level up. And then the, the top tier is for like investment teams and professionals who want to unlock that KPI data and request KPI coverage as well. Like a firm will be like, here, we want these 10 names in our coverage and in your coverage. And then you'll have basically our, our entire universe that we're looking at, which is great. Right. Because like earnings season comes around and we have it updated within 15 minutes when Netflix comes out with their net subscriber ads, like it's right there in one place. Uh, especially easy. To handle around the the peak of earning season that that matters a lot for these people, and so we have a, a premium tier for that as well. That's the that's the three plans that are available today.
0: And now. A perfect time to shameless plug our code. If you use CCM, you get 15% off any of the paid plans, but I think that covers it pretty well. Uh, if you're interested, please go ahead and check out stratosphere.io. We'll we'll have a link in the uh, description as well, but uh, thank you, Brayden, for joining us.
3: Ryan, keep it up. I really like what you and Brad are doing and uh, I'll be listening along.